Church, isn't God good? Isn't God so good that He has led us this far? Friends, He has led us this far into 2021 and you've been hearing week upon week of sermons on how we are going to be an overcomer, how we are going to overcome together. Church, Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good whenever you are catching this. I'm Pastor Fergus. Some of you may not know me, especially if you started visiting SIBKL more recently. I'm one of the pastors in this church. I'm currently leading a church plant, an SIBKL church plant in Sungai Bulo. It's my joy to be back home in the mother church to share with you uh, um, the word of God. Now today, I want to share with you a word, a word on overcoming unbelief, overcoming unbelief, right? This is our last week in our overcoming series. Today, I want to share with you on how we can overcome unbelief. Now, friends, if you're a Christian, you've given your life to Jesus, you've been walking with Jesus, and you're thinking, Pastor, is today's sermon not for me? No, today's sermon is for you. Today's sermon is for every single one of us. And I want to unpack this word, unbelief into two different things. We want to overcome the unbelief of blindness of spiritual eyes and overcome the unbelief of hardness of our hearts. So today, I want to share with you, the, uh, and, and to the whole sermon will be built pretty much around these two points, overcome the unbelief of blindness and the unbelief of hardness. The unbelief of blindness so that you and I can see, so that we are not spiritually blind, but we are spiritually seeing. We are not spiritually in slumber, we are spiritually waking. Waking and seeing and that sight leads to belief. That's what we want here, to overcome the unbelief of blindness and then to overcome the unbelief of hardness. You know, friends, you can you can harden your hearts, one, you know, but we want to overcome the impulse to harden our hearts, but instead to bring our hearts before King Jesus and allow Him to soften our hearts so that what? So that you and I can believe. Amen. Amen. How many of you, you want to be an overcomer? If you want to be an overcomer, you must overcome unbelief because unbelief is one of those things. It is super deceitful. It is super stealthy. It will reach into your heart. It will reach into your surroundings. It will slowly seep in, right? I always tell this to my people that trust is forged, but doubt is planted. Trust is forged, meaning that to build trust, you need to go through fire, you need to go through pain, you need to go through heat, you need to go through difficult things, and then when you come out of it, trust is forged. But doubt is planted. Unbelief is scattered and sown. Almost sometimes, almost randomly, and then one or two seeds fall down your path. One or two seeds fall in your heart, and it matters what you do. It matters whether you weed it out. It matters whether you have a discipline in your life to comb through all the truth claims that fall onto your heart, all the statements of faith and truth and, and, and whatever that are scattered around you, and so that you can comb through and weed out that, that which is not true, to weed out that which will grow from doubt into unbelief. So friends, today we want to 
do that. Today's sermon is all about moving that fine comb through the, 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 the fabric of our hearts, so to speak, to comb out and remove every seed of doubt that will lead to unbelieving. And in case you're wondering, Pastor Fergus, are you saying that doubt is wrong? Short answer, no. Long answer, last point, I will deal with it. Okay, last point, I'll deal with it. But first, I want to share with you this, that there is a blindness. Now, if you're at home, you can read this on the screen. Read it out together with me. There is a blindness, so blind, that if the glory of God were to pass before you, you would not see it. Wow, what on earth was that? Let me say that one more time and let it sink in. There is a blindness, so blind, that if the glory of God were to pass before you, you would not see it. There is a blindness. There is a line that you can cross. There is a willful blindness. You know what willful blindness is? Willful blindness is when you, you yourself, Sandiri and Sengaja, refuse to see. On your own will, you willfully decide you don't want to look at it and you tell yourself, this is not true, this is not happening. You blind yourself to it. And there is a limit that you can cross beyond which, frankly, the Bible says this, there is no point of return. And there is so much blindness. You have walked yourself into so much spiritual blindness that even if the glory of God, the most glorious, brightest, most visible thing in the world were to pass before you, if you cross the line from willful blindness to more willful blindness, you can cross a line that there is no return. You know what Proverbs, Proverbs, I believe it's one of the early chapters, talks about how the man who goes to, uh, uh, um, who goes to the prostitute, right? And, and it says that, that to, 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 for those who go to her, right? Talking about about foolishness. It's, it's, the prostitute is just, a, it's just a metaphor, right? Those who chase after foolishness, to those who chase after foolishness, none of them come back. Now, friends, have you chased after foolishness? By God's grace, by God's grace, it's a proverb, so it's a general rule. But my friends, it nonetheless means that there is still a line and many don't come back. Many don't come back. So there is a blindness. And I want to show you about this blindness through quite a lot of scriptures. Blindness and hardness. Today, my friends, we're going to look at super a lot of Bible, you know, but I know you love your Bible. I know it's start of the year. Many of you started reading your Bible. Your Bible reading plan is still on fire because we're only at the start of February. You know, I want to encourage you, my friends, keep going on. Love your Bibles more than any other book in this in this world. Love reading your Bible more than any other publication in this, in this year, right? And every year, right? But love it for the first year. You'll grow to love it in the subsequent year. So now, let me show you the first text. I want to show you is John chapter 11. This, the set, the scene that Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, has died. He's got two surviving sisters and they are mourning, right? John chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Now that's cool, right? Let's just pause there for a moment. If you stumble, you walk in the day, okay? You don't stumble. Why? Because you see the light in this world. You see the light 
of this world. That's how, how verse 9 is constructed. And then Jesus says this in verse 10. And I want you to pay attention to the way he has constructed this sentence. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. Fair enough. Because the light is not in him. Now that's strange. That's very strange. You know why? Because if you tell me, if I walk in the day, I don't stumble because I see the light of this world. I get it. I don't stumble because I see light. But verse 10 says, but if you walk in the night, you do stumble. Why? Because the light is not in you. Huh, that's strange. If the light is not in you, therefore you stumble. What verse 10 is trying to say, what Jesus is trying to say is that your stumbling is not even because there is a, there is a lack of light in the physical sense. What he's trying to say is that the, the lack of light that causes you to stumble is not the light of light waves and light particles. The lack of light that causes you to stumble is a lack of spiritual light inside of you. John 1 says that this Jesus was the light and that light was the life of men. How can it be the life of men? Precisely because if that life is in you, you don't stumble. But if that light and that life is not in you, Nighttime sure stumble. Even daytime also will stumble, you know. But that's not what the text says. Let me move on. Jesus says to the surviving sister, her name is Martha, right? One of the two surviving sisters. He says this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Look, her brother has just died. Okay, and Jesus is saying to this sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live, yet he shall live, right? And everyone who, be who lives and believes in me shall never die. But physically, we die, right? But there is a never-dyingness when you believe in Jesus. Do you believe this? S-I-B-K-L, do you believe this? Anyone out there who happens to be called Martha, do you believe this? Friends, if you are visiting with us and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, why so weird all these Christians? My friends, I do want to ask you, do you believe this? Can you believe this? Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe that you are the Son of Christ, the Son of God. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the one who is coming into this world. God, I believe. I believe. Friends, I want to show you that there is a strong relationship between seeing and between believing. And we know that seeing in the physical, seeing is not believing. In the physical, just because you see something, Right? It's not about you see something, therefore you must believe it. But my friends, for true belief, what the whole Gospel of John is trying to say is that for true faith to come alive, you need to have eyes that can see in the spiritual. Now I want to show you how this, this little back and forth continues because Jesus says to Martha and the whole crowd there, take away the stone, Martha. The stone is the stone blocking the tomb, right? Uh, in the past, the tombs were, were horizontal. You don't put them down into the ground, but you put them sideways into a tomb. You cover it with a stone. So Jesus says, remove the stone. And Martha says, Lord, Four days already. It's going to stink. My brother's been dead. He's in this tomb for four days. 
There is nothing. Why do you want to open it? It's going to smell. And Jesus said, Martha, didn't you say you believe? Right? Just now I asked you, do you believe? You said you believe, right? So Jesus says to her, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see? You would see the glory of God. Somebody say, see the glory of God. My friends, if you are if you are listening to this on YouTube right now, you want to type something into the chat just to G up your spirit. Type into the chat, see the glory of God. You can capitalize C, S-E-E, see the glory of God. Friends, did I not tell you, Jesus says, that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. Now, I want to I, I unpack this word because you can use this word, see the glory of God in two ways. In two ways. Now, the first way you can use it is to use this word, see, conventionally. So let's just say I, I replace this sentence with another sentence right now, okay? If you go to Mid Valley, you will see the center court, right? That's one way to use the word see. If you go to Mid Valley, you will see the center court. In other words, the center court is there. Anyone who can access Mid Valley can see the center court. That's one way to say it. But if that's the case, then it means that, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God, meaning that anyone can be able to see glory of God then if they believe, then they can see what's happening with the glory of God. And if they don't believe, then they don't see anything, right? Then you don't see it. In the same way, if you don't go to Mid Valley, you don't see the center court. You just don't see the center court, right? In the same way, it's, is it trying to say that if you don't believe, you just don't see anything, okay? And by the way, the context of glory of God here is Lazarus coming out from the tomb. Dead men now alive. That's the glorious thing that, 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 that is being challenged. Will you see this or not? But there is another way to, to understand this word, see. And let me, let, let me use a different example here. How about I say this? Let me use a painter that everybody knows, right? Um, Vincent van Gogh. We all know Vincent van Gogh. Sunflower, Starry Night, okay? Um, maybe I can say this. If you knew the story of van Gogh's life, you will see how beautiful his paintings are. Nah, huh, now that's different. That's a different way of using the word see. Because guess what? The fellow who knows his life story and the fellow who don't know his life story, both can see his paintings. Both can see the painting. But the one who knows his life story can see how beautiful it is. Friends, so I, I'm thinking and I'm asking every single one of you to think and apply your mind here. What kind of seeing is this? Is it that the moment Lazarus walked out, those who don't believe won't be able to see Lazarus walking out. Only those who believe can see Lazarus walking out. Is that the kind of seeing? Or is it that everybody will be able to see Lazarus walking out? But if you believe, you will see that it is the glory of God that he walks out. Do you, do you, do you, are you following me, my friends? Are you following me? Because Jesus is saying, I really believe it is the second definition of seeing. If you believe in God, when Lazarus walk out, you will say, that's the glory of God. 
I see that it is the glory of God. You will ascribe it as the glory. You will give credit as the glory of God. And if you don't believe, you will say, oh, maybe he wasn't dead. Oh, maybe he somehow he managed to survive on his extra uh, fats and carbohydrates and, and for four days he didn't makan and, and all that. Somehow you will find some kind of excuse to explain that this thing that both everybody is seeing it, but you will find a way to explain that it is not the glory of God. In other words, there is a way to see without truly seeing. There is a way to see without ascribing it as that's the glory of God. Friends, when you see something glorious, do you want to say that it's the glory of God or do you want to be so blind that you can say, no lie, it's something else. No lie, it's a coincidence. No lie, you know, it just happens to be. Or, or you can find some kind of other scientific, uh, uh, quasi-pseudo-scientific explanation for it. Friends, friends, this is super key, you know, because there is a spiritual blindness. There is a spiritual blindness such that those who see amazing things, uh, my friends, amazing things, if you're spiritually blind, you will tentang it, you will fight it, you will refuse to believe that it is truly of God. Where do you see this? The whole book of John, you see this. John chapter 5, Jesus heals an invalid man. He's been on his uh, he's been he's been on the ground for 38 years. He heals him. What does his critics do? What do his critics do? They fight with him over the legality of healing on a Sabbath. That's blind, man. That's blind. So a miracle happened, but you fight with him over the legality of healing on a Sabbath. That's blind. They don't see. Now friends, I'm going to read to you this series of things from the Gospel of John. If you say that this is blind, share with me and say this, I call this out as blind. Call it out as blind. When you see spiritual blindness, call it out as blind. John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. His critics fight with him for his teaching on I am the bread of life. Friends, I'm calling this out as blind. John chapter 7, Jesus wows everyone with his teaching. His critics try to kill him. I'm calling this out as blind. John chapter 8, Jesus teaches, I am the light of the world. His critics start choking him and questioning him on his parentage. Blind. I'm calling this out as blind. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Now we're literally dealing with a blind man here. Jesus heals a blind man. His critics again fight with him over healing on Sabbath. Blind. And here, John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and his critics in turn try to kill him. I'm calling this as super blind. Friends, there is a blindness beyond which, so blind, so blind, there is a blindness so blind that even if the glory of God were to pass by you, you would not be able to see it. You know, friends, have you ever experienced this? You see the same person many, many times and then one day you see them and suddenly they're so beautiful. Has that ever happened to you? Or you see the same car many, many days and then one day you look at it and it's like, wow, that's a really good looking car. Why, right? Or that's a really good looking man or a woman or something like that, right? Or a house. It could be anything, right? Now, sometimes that happens. You know what happens? Your eyes became open. It's not that they became more beautiful. It's just that your eyes became open. And I pray the same thing will happen for you with Jesus. That you may have heard the gospel like a million times already. 
And until today, he's still not much worth. He still thinks that, oh, it's just one teacher, religious man, another good thing, church not bad. If I send my kids to Sunday school, but no thanks for me. And then one day, bang, you see him. That's beautiful, supremely beautiful, extremely beautiful, more beautiful than anything else you've ever seen before. I tell you, that is the day you overcome blindness. And it is God who removes the blindness from you. So there is overcoming of blindness and there is overcoming of hardness. There is overcoming of hardness. And I want to show you this text, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 tells this story of a man and his son. Right? And this story speaks very closely to me because I'm a father of a young boy myself. And this man's son has been demonized for a long time now. It doesn't say precisely how long. And, but we know it's from childhood, right? And so this demon, when he manifests, will take over the son and try to throw him into the fire and try to throw him into, into the water to try to drown or burn this boy. So the demon is, is like really actively trying to destroy this young boy's life and the father doesn't know what to do right and so he goes to Jesus and Jesus said to him right or he says to the he says to, to, to Jesus can you can you help him can you help us right and Jesus says if if I can if I can right all things are possible for one who believes and then verse 24, the man, the father cries out. He just cries out. My friends, if you've ever seen this and you're familiar with it, I really believe that flesh and blood did not cry this. The Holy Spirit gave him this utterance. And he just cries out, say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Wow. What was that? Let's, let's pause. Let's look at this. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Meaning, is there a part of this father that believes? Yes. That part of him said, I believe. I believe. And is there a part of this father that doesn't believe? Yes. But the part that says, I believe, is saying to Jesus about the part that doesn't believe and says, Jesus, help my unbelief. Friends, Sometimes we give voice to our unbelief and our unbelief says, Che, where got such thing? That's how unbelief talks, right? Unbelief says, where can? Nonsense. How long already? It will never happen. Forget it. That's how unbelief talks. Its mother tongue is to speak cynical things, right? But do you believe? Is there a part of you that believes? Yes. Friends, you don't need to believe 100% all the time. I know every day in our daily living, our faith is mingled with a bit of doubt. I understand. I understand we all go through this. We all go through this. Important thing is, who are you giving voice to? Friends, it's scary, man. It's scary. There is a line. And I know maybe we want to encourage you to know that however far you've gone, you can turn back. And to a largest extent, I want you to know if you are hearing this, you have not gone too far. I hope and I trust that if you're hearing this, you have not gone too far. But friends, if you harden your heart one more time, it hardens and it takes you even closer. And there is a line beyond which you cross, no man shall return. Just as it says in the verse in Proverbs, that no one comes home after crossing that line. Friends, don't play with that line. Don't play with that line. Put the comb through the fabric of your heart and make sure that all the hardness is swept out. Friends, 
I want to share with you one last thing. Some of you are saying, I need proof. I need proof to believe. I need some evidence. I need something, something to hold on to. You can't just tell me believe, alang alang, believe in nothing. Pastor, I can't. I can't do that. I understand. And you know the John chapter 20, one of his own disciples, his name is Thomas. After Jesus had died, and then Jesus resurrected, and Jesus came back alive and showed himself to some of Thomas's friends, the other apostles. Thomas wasn't there that day. So his friends saw the resurrected Jesus and it was amazing. And they came to Thomas and said, Thomas, Thomas, you must believe what we saw. We saw the Lord risen. He is alive. He is alive today. And Thomas says, sure, mo. don't talk nonsense, right? And we call him Doubting Thomas before because of that. But I think sometimes we give him too much stick, right, for saying this, okay? You know what Thomas says? He says, look, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe you guys. Too, your talk too crazy already. Too crazy. I, you, you expect me to just alang alang believe like that? No, no. Unless I can... Literally, I can touch the wound on his hands and on his side. I can't believe you guys. Now, we've called ever since then, we've called this guy Doubting Thomas because he had some doubt, right? He, there was a threshold for evidence. There was a threshold for some kind of proof, some kind of, some kind, give me something tangible. And I know many of you are like that. I know many of you are there. I've been there too. So I'm not belittling this. It is absolutely real. Now, have you ever been to church, maybe in the past, and you felt that people make fun of you for what, for, for wanting to have a little bit of something tangible to help you believe? Friends, not here. Not here. You know why? Because when we here in SIBKL, we look into John 20, we see that Jesus met Thomas where? he was. Jesus met Thomas where he was. So if you're struggling, looking for evidence that there is a God, and, and you're saying, God, I'm sincere. I'm really sincere. I'm not looking to keep on fighting you. I really just need to see you and know that you are real. I want to show you this. Jesus showed up to Thomas. Eight days later, the disciples were, were inside again. They, they were gathering. Now Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And then Jesus, knowing everything that has happened, he laser beams onto Thomas, right? And just as you think he's going to score Thomas nicely already, you know what he says? So loving, so gentle. He says, Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. See my hands. And he put out his hand. Put out your hand. Place it on my side. Thomas, you needed this. You needed this. The rest didn't need this. You need this. Here, I meet you where you are. Friends, my prayer for every single one of you, if you are sincere and you just need that 1%, that 5%, that 10% more of something tangible to see that God is real, my encouragement to you, pray this prayer. God, if you are real, please show me that you are real. Just pray that. Repeat after me right now. God, if you are real, please show me that you are real. Amen.
And when you say amen, you're saying, I believe and I agree with you. That if you are going to re be real, you're going to show me that you are real. You will be praying similar to the prayer that we wish Thomas would have prayed. And, and you know what Thomas's response was? He didn't say, sure not. Are you a hologram? Are you a this? Are you an AI? He didn't say any of this. You know what he said? He just immediately worshipped. He said, my Lord, my God. He gave his heart on the spot. When Jesus revealed himself, Thomas gave himself completely. I like this guy. I like this guy. Because though Jesus met him where he was, he didn't after that try to backtrack even further. He said, that's it. I believe in you. I said, if I can put my hands in. He didn't even put his hands in. Just seeing the resurrected Jesus, he believed. Amen? Friends, I believe that for you, every one of you, if you said that prayer, Lord, if you are real, show me that you are real. If that is your sincere prayer, my, I want to follow on, sambung that prayer for you, Lord Jesus, for every one of our family and friends who've made that prayer right now. In Jesus' name, I pray that you will reveal yourself to them. And when you do reveal yourself to them, that they will believe. They will not backtrack. They will not go even further. They will not ask for even more, another round of evidence and another and another round of evidence. But they will be sincere. They asked you for one show, Lord show and then I pray that they will believe. I pray that hearts will heart, will, hardened hearts will soften. I pray that blind eyes will see. And with this, Lord, I thank you. You know, friends, I want to just close right now by reading to you a little, a little passage from, this, this is uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew. This is, this is uh, the first book. And I've been reading this with my kids and then I came upon this passage that speaks so much about the hardening of our hearts, right? It speaks so much of the hardening of our hearts that I knew I had to share this with you, okay? The context is this. God, in the form of Jesus, in the form of a lion called Aslan. So Aslan is the lion character, okay? He's the Jesus character. And he's just created the whole world through a song right? In the beginning was the word. So he just created the world through a song. And there's a character in Narnia called Uncle Andrew. And Uncle Andrew doesn't believe that all this is real. And he refuses to believe. So I'm going to pick it up from here. When the lion had first begun singing long ago, when it was still quite dark, he, meaning Uncle Andrew, he had realized that the noise was a song. So he did hear that it was a song. And he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then, when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our own world. Of course, it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Whoever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that often you succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. 
Soon he couldn't even have heard anything else if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. My friends, you may say, Pastor, fantasy story laugh for children. My friends, the lion of Judah is singing. The Lion of Judah is singing a song to create new life and to create new power and to create a survival and a thriving that exceeds survival. The Lion of Judah today is singing a song to help people like you and I be more than overcomers. And there are some among us who will say, whoever would have heard of this lion singing, nonsense. Some of you will go to your extent, you will say it is absolutely BS. No, my friends, the Lion of Judah is singing. And no matter how hard you try to drown it out because it makes you think and feel things you don't want to think and feel, he is nonetheless on the move, my friends. Do you want to be like this character who refused nye nye, refused to hear it to the point he crossed the line? He crossed the line of hardness beyond which if he wanted to soften his heart, there was nothing left to soften. He crossed the line beyond which there was so much blindness that if the glory of God and the glory of God was unveiling itself before him, he could not see it. Friends, you and I don't want to go there. So my friends, what shall our response be? Turn to the Lord. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Help me see, open up my eyes so that I may see and behold wonderful things in your law. My friends, some of you are going through difficult times, very difficult times. And if we came and told you the Lord is going to do good for you, some of you will not believe. But don't give voice to the unbelief. Today, give voice to faith. Amen. Let us worship right now. I want to encourage all of us to just lift up our hands and as the worship team takes over and right now every line of the song just lift it up in faith and in belief. Worship team, take it away.